Everybody and welcome to a very special episode of What's Good Games, where me, Miss Andrea Renee, and Brittany Brombacher are at the Division Two preview event. And Britt and I got to play some extensive hands-on with the Division Two today. And Britt, you haven't played this since E3 last year, right? That is correct. It's been a, it's been a hot minute. Did not disappoint. All right. We died a lot. Spoilers. Are <laughs> <laughs> you playing together? Yes. Were you grouped up? Okay. We, of course, are here with Julian from the team at Massive. Um, Julian, good to see you again. We mm-hmm. last saw each other, I believe, at San Diego Comic-Con? Comic-Con, yeah. Gosh, it feels so long ago, doesn't it? It, it feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> I, I, I just want to go back to those easy days. Oh, I know. You're in the, the death march to launch yes, now. But yes. it's got to be exciting, right? It's super exciting. Uh, things are coming together incredibly fast. Uh, we've got a big, big milestone. February 7th with the private beta. That's really what we're focusing on as a, a push. And then it's first day. And that's for launch on the 15th. But it, it's intense because we're juggling a lot of different versions, things from a couple of weeks ago, things for two weeks from now. It, it's technically, this is the most difficult production period that I've ever lived through. Well, you're here and talking to us, so thank you so much for taking a break and stepping away from your team to I come and show the, the game to us. the team is delighted I'm here. You know, anybody, everybody's going, yeah, yeah, you can go to San Francisco. It's two days, take a week, take a week. Go see the sites. Here's a little budget for you. Oh, I'm sure get to get them out of their, uh, out of your... To get you out of their hair. That's Absolutely. what I'm trying to say here. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about what we got to see today. So you gave mm-hmm. a presentation mm-hmm. um, uh, two times today. Yep. And in the presentation this morning, you guys went over the new base of operations, which is the White House. Of course, we're in Washington, D.C. for the Division 2. Had to be the White House. Uh, well, I mean, Avi, right? <laughs> I, I think, you know, in the Division 1, the base of operations was a post office and we could only do better than a post office so the most iconic building in the states i think is a good choice for this are we going to recognize things within the white house if people have been there maybe on a tour i know in your presentation you said this is the closest to one-to-one that any ubisoft game has ever gotten so that's for the city but got it you know just focusing on the white house we did several tours of the white house uh, i was invited i don't know whether this is confidential or not but i was invited <laughs> But you get the exclusive. I was invited uh, on a West Wing tour. So oh, lovely. I've, you know, I've seen the Oval Office. I've seen the, the state rooms. I've seen things like that. It's a very close recreation. And it's actually, the building is structured in such a way that it feels very different from what your imagination m- expects you for, for its actual structure. So it, it is absolutely accurate, but it's going to feel very different from what you expect. 
Okay. I guess I've never been to the White House, so I'm going in with no expectations. All right. It, it's going to be <laughs> incredibly destroyed and trashed when you get there. Perfect. And that's one of your missions is going to be to rebuild it, to get it to be an operational thing. So it's going to be very, very different from what it actually is in real life. So this brings us back to some of the things that we first became introduced to in the first division. This idea, this urban survival simulation that you guys are taking one step further in the sequel, talking about how you know you have to rebuild the White House. But it's not just about your base of operations. It's about these other factions because obviously we're going to fight people. Yes. But there's friendly factions that you can help out this time around yeah. too. Can you explain how that mechanic is going to work in the division too? So this is something that I was very much attached to because we have this macro story where you have to create stakes that are unbelievably important, you know, save Washington, D.C. and save the soul of America. But fundamentally, what I wanted to investigate is, okay, but what does that mean for civilians trying to survive on the streets that have been completely transformed? So settlements, and these are, think of makeshift forts in the in the wilderness of, of a wild land, basically. That's going to be groups of civilians who have banded together and are trying to survive, trying to build for a better tomorrow. And they're going to be one of your major focuses and helping them, taking care of their personal stories. The, one of the first missions you played today was going to a hotel to rescue a hostage who happens to be the daughter of the leader of one of the settlements. That's going to help you out and you're going to see a direct impact on the morale of the civilians there. And of course, that bleeds into the living world uh, simulation where the civilians are going to go out into the open world and try and find these resources that are so precious to the, the rebuilding effort that's going on. It does feel like the stakes are higher this time around. Obviously, we were helping civilians in the first game, you know, giving them water, et cetera, getting maybe small pieces of gear back. But it feels like that has become much more integral to the whole mission, the whole theme of what's happening in this game. 100%. I mean, in the first game, you met civilians on the streets. Uh, they, were, they, they were just wandering around, kind of lost in a daze. You gave them... Uh, a bottle of water, and they gave you a pair of pants. It was uh, <laughs> it, it was something that we felt that we could do better with. So it, it, developing this, this living world system really grounds you within the fancy of urban survival as well. And a, a city that's trying to rebuild it itself, making the resources that they have to get. Those sirens are not part of the decor. It's <laughs> welcome to San Francisco. Thank you. It's, it's perfect timing there. But it, that simulation, that urban uh, survival simulation is absolutely key to grounding it within a fancy that actually makes sense for you. So there are civilians in the streets and the civilians will get better armed the more you push forwards, the more you can find them some resources that they can build up and feel more confident and more hopeful about their place within this world that's been completely transformed. Not to take away from the importance of clearly helping people, but you mentioned pants. And <laughs> customization was one of the most asked questions that we got when we said that we were coming to play The Division 2 today. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about what kind of customiza customization options we can expect to see. It, it's a great question because I spend as much time designing my character <laughs> as I spend deciding, okay, what, what sort of mission should I do? What should my build be? So... You want to have a connection with your avatar that feels like it's you, that feels like it's grounded within what you want to look like. So we've, we've attacked it in, I would say, three different ways. 
the first one is we're going to give you more control over your character's creation. So the facial features, we're going to give you heads that, that are fairly well detailed, but you'll be able to, to adjust things to have a more granular control on what they're going to look like. We're not going to allow too much of the monster factory that you see in, in some games that allow wild customization of that. Because we want... It's a multiplayer game. You're well, it's a game that's grounded in realism, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah you've, you've got some fairly ugly people as well out there. <laughs> but but we, wanna, we want our survivors and our agents to be as good-looking as possible as well. We're all beautiful in the apocalypse. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, in the first game... If you put some sunglasses on your character during the character creation at launch, you couldn't change that option. So it was, you went around with this stupid decision that you made. <laughs> Listen, it wouldn't be the first time somebody has started a game from scratch because they didn't yeah, like the way yeah, their character looked. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, 17 hours in and you decide, no, that's not me, uh, and start it again. <laughs> so we're going to give you more control over those things and those uh, those aspects that are purely cosmetic. You're going to be able to change those uh, Hair colors, we're going to have more hair colors. So many more options to define how your character is created. On top of that, you have vanity. And summer allows us to have so many more options for vanity. Are we still going to get parkas or are they gone forever? I will never release a game without parkas. (laughs) You're crossing a line here. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We want those parkas in the game. So, So you're going to have some some echoes of the first game but you're also going to have shorts you're going to have capris you're going to have uh, athletic wear you're going to have pants of course shorts uh, sleeves tank tops you're going to have a lot of different options to create a look that really feels like you it one thing that i'm really attached to is that we don't lose this connection with a civilian agent so it doesn't feel like a militarized super buff like elite agent type of fancy. It's not really that. You can push it that way, but it's not the main fancy that we want to create for the game. And the third aspect of character creation and customization is the equipment, the gear. In the first game, a level one character was very, very similar to a level 30 character. You couldn't tell going into one of the safe houses, okay, this is this is an, an elite agent. I want to team up with this, uh, this person and they can help me carry me through the next mission. What we want to do is to create a look that looks more professional, more personalized, more, more crafted in terms of gear so that a level 30 character really pops compared to a level 1 character, for example. So those three things are really one of the elements that we've tried to push as much as possible for this game. That's really exciting because as somebody who plays several other games that have these kinds of loot progressions, you do get that sense of pride and satisfaction of, of looking really cool next to people who maybe have just booted up the game for the first time. 100%. And, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to push is if you do things that are incredibly tough or difficult to find within the game, you should be rewarded with some sort of feat of strength. So, you know, I'm not going to spoil it, but there are some trinkets on your backpack. Some of the, the exclusive ones that we have for, for incredible feats of strength are amazingly cool. So you're going to see somebody with something hanging off their backpack that really signifies that they're one of those elite agents. So we're giving people some customization options that really pushes that, that sort of mentality, too. 
Well, if they're anything like the charms in Rainbow Six, I'm going to be a very happy camper. <laughs> they, they, they're going to be very, uh, very cool. Awesome. Well, Brittany, I've been hogging all the microphone time. Uh, do you have a question for Julian? I have a question about the customization again. Yes. Are we going to have bright, vibrant neon colors for our clothing? <laughs> for the clothing. I, she I likes to you make her characters very ugly, I just have to oh, tell you. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's it's, beautiful in the apocalypse uh, this time. Well, beautiful, well-worn, a little well crispy on the outside. Yes, but yes. neon colors, I think colors are super important. Again, it comes back to this, this distinction between uh, an elite agent and somebody who's a civilian who's out there and trying to do the best possible for, for the world. We are going to have colors. Where we are going to have popping colors but maybe not those bright neons at launch because okay. we want to keep that fantasy of, okay, this feels like a, a world that's on the brink of I mean, collapse. No one's doing their laundry is what you're saying. No I, one's using those Tide Pods that ex- keep their colors no. bright and vibrant. But <laughs> perhaps six months down the line, a year down the line, those colors are going to pop and you're going to have different hair colors. You're going to be able to be a little bit more extravagant. But at, at first, we're going to keep it on a sensible world on the brink sort of fancy. That makes sense. Uh, we had some people also ask about, speaking of gear, about the gear score. One mm-hmm. of our uh, Twitter followers wrote in and said, I spent so much time optimizing my gear score that I felt like I lost out on a lot of actual playtime. Is gear score going to be similar to what was in the division? Have you guys optimized it or changed it in any way? No, we, we, it's very much an iteration on what was in the first game. I, I think the, the sort of theory crafting and going into that min-max pure fancy is part of what makes this game really special. I, I can spend hours trying to optimize my gear for a specific challenge. I know not everybody wants to do that, but there is that, that thrill to find, okay, if I just improve this slightly, I'm going to have that, this edge with this challenge. I love that. I don't think it dis- detracts from certain activities because it is an activity by itself too. Nobody's going to force you to do it, but it's always going to be there. Makes sense. Maybe not for you, but maybe it's for somebody else. Um, Will there be exclusive PvP gear that you can only obtain in Dark Zones or PvP content? Who have you been talking to? This is just a question that I have, because other popular uh, shooter games have gear that you can obtain only in specific sections of the game. I'll use one of my favorite games, Destiny. They have a PvP arena called the Crucible. They have a special event called the Iron Banner, where you can only get special gear from there. So, you guys are really pushing that you have this new organized pvp this time around you've got these three new dark zones that to me sounds like special gear yes and special vanity as well so there's uh there's special vanity is definitely going to be part of the mix there so if you're you're really dedicated to pvp and this organized pvp then there's going to be very something very special for you See, now that gives people like me who are very, maybe not so cool, not so cool with the Dark Zone a reason to dip my toes in. But, but were you at the Dark Zone event that we did? Sadly, no. We couldn't right. make it because of timing. But we did watch um, a bunch of gameplay videos okay. from other creators that we know and love on YouTube. And so we got to take a look at what you guys showed at that event. So speaking of the Dark Zone... Um, we also had a lot of people who were wrote in and were like, do I have to play in the Dark Zone? Can I play by myself? Am I going to have to match make with random people? And speaking just from my playthrough in The Division, I only kind of like dipped my toes in the Dark Zone. And then I was like, you know what? That's not for me. But you guys are kind of um, beefing it up this time around. Well, we're, we're doing a lot of different things. And 
the dog zone for me is one of the most interesting areas in the game because this is this is the PvP VE area of the game. So are you matchmaking with people you don't know? Yes, that's absolutely the concept of it. You go through those gates into this sort of unknown world and you're automatically no lobbies, no uh, no nothing going to be put into a phase, a live phase with other players. Those players could be friendly, they could be 100% unfriendly and in the first game we found that because we didn't have organized PvP uh, at launch we found that people were really leaning into the dark zone for that competitive PvP experience. Everyone was going rogue is what you're trying to say. Everybody. <laughs> it, was, it was a murder simulator for the poor agents who stepped in there and gee, I, I feel exactly your reticence of going in there because it's a little bit foreboding. It's a little bit difficult. So this time around, we were committed on making a much fairer playing field. So not only are you introduced slowly to the dark zone, there's a solo mission phase. Uh, you can go in with your team and you know, uh, you'll be match made with people who are at the same level as you. But also, we're doing normalization within the dark zone. And that doesn't mean that all of your build choices don't matter. Your build choices absolutely matter. We're just smoothing out the, the sort of peaks and, and troughs of your build choices to make that band that much tighter so that it's much more skill-based than if it was non-normalized. So all of that to say, it's going to be skill-based. So if somebody wants to go rogue on you and you haven't done the theory crafting and you haven't spent hours perfecting your build, you still have a chance. But we do know that we have this audience of super hardcore players who just want to have that super high risk, high reward, go into the dark zone. Though I love them because they're part of my community. I'm gonna, we I'm gonna can stand call them up monsters. for the, You don't yeah, have to. Uh, let's just say we have to respect that playstyle. Well, during the end game, when you have this invasion of the map. We're going to have occupied dark zones. And occupied dark zones are basically free-for-alls. No rules. Everybody goes at it. No friendly fire. Uh, friendly fire is off. It's all good. No normalization. So your build absolutely does matter. So the people who are attached to that super, super violent, high-risk, high-reward experience, they're going to be catered to, too. Great. Well, listen, I could talk to you all day, but we only have time for one more question. Okay. So we have to ask you about the end game. So we got dropped into some pretty high-level stuff, and in your presentation, you really made an emphasis on wanting to add additional content for when the main campaign is over. Yep. And you guys, it sounds like there's just so much stuff to do in the end game after the campaign is done. Um, for you, what was kind of your favorite part about creating what we would maybe air quotes call post-launch content? Was there something that was you really wanted to push for that mm. you're glad made it in? So if we're talking just about post-launch content, what I was really attached to is not splitting the player base. So on the first game, we had three DLCs that were paid for, Underground, uh, Survival, and Last Stand. And those, they, they worked incredibly well but they split the player base. So not everybody could join in. So one of the things that I'm, I fought for is making all of our post-launch uh, content for the first year completely free. 
So that means we're not going to be uh, splitting the player base at all. If we're talking just about the endgame content and what I really like about that, and that's not post-launch, that's first day. We've organized the, the endgame in terms of a progression through the world tier. So there's almost a mini campaign that opens up and that presents new challenges with this brand new faction that's one of the hardest factions we've ever created. And that's something that I look forward to because I'm not a... I'm not a super hardcore player. I'm, I'm more of a casual player. I'll finish the campaign very happily, and then I'll look at Endgame and go, eh, it's 100 more hours or so. Maybe it's not for me. But here we've catered to players like me. Thankfully, I'm in the target market <laughs> there. And we've created this Endgame progression, which guides you through almost a new mini campaign. You guys talked a little bit about the raids. We didn't get to see one today. Obviously, this is going to be you know post-launch content as well. But eight people in a raid seems not only like a lot of people to coordinate, kind of like a too many cooks in the kitchen, but just asking seven of my friends to agree to get together at the same time also seems like a really difficult task. So why did you guys decide to go with eight people? So I think that the scale of the challenge that we wanted to create was very important. And we thought about six, but it made more sense with eight. Despite creating enormous amounts of challenge, even in terms of level design and creation of level design for a cover-based shooter with eight players. But you have to remember that no feature is developed completely in a vacuum. So alongside eight-player raids, we're pushing what I think is the most accessible clan feature in, in video games, in, in console games as well, where you can create a clan with three clicks of your controller and create a clan which is going to propose people that you can partner up with, that you know aren't going to go crazy on you, that you can trust, that you can communicate with, which is going to be absolutely critical in order to take down this, this new challenge, uh, the raid that comes very soon after launch. Is there a limit to how many people can be in your clan? There is. It's 50 people, but you can have your four characters within the clan. So it's over, it's like 200 characters, but limited to 50 different people. Okay, I understand what you're saying there. That's the technical limitation there. And will there, okay, one last question. Will there be matchmaking in the raids or no? It's a great question. I don't know. Okay. The way I see it is we can't have matchmaking for just pickup groups because it creates something that's very, very uneven and maybe a waste of your time and very frustrating. I completely understand the, the arguments for matchmaking, though. I don't know where we've landed, uh, but you'll be the first to know. Oh, thank you. When, when I have a, uh, an update on that. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very and much. And we're definitely looking forward to launch coming up in just a couple of months. Yes. Best of luck to you and the Thank team. Thank you.